We're in Matthew chapter number five. Uh, Matthew number five. We're in verse number 43 and following today. We're talking today about supernatural love, supernatural love. God, help us to love like you love. And uh, that's what we're called to do. That's the living that we're called, uh, the life we're called to live. And uh, I was thinking about <clears throat> these instructions I've been reading through. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and Jesus' teaching and his primary audience is, is the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, the, the relig religious leaders of Judaism. And so he's been addressing these guys because they've been teaching uh, not the whole truth along the way. And so he's addressing them and correcting them along the way. I was thinking about uh, a movie that we used to watch with my boys when they were little. Uh, some of y'all might remember it, but it was called Angels in the Outfield. And there was, there was this uh, manager, this baseball manager, and uh, he found himself down in the sandlot or, you know, playing street ball with a group of kids. And, uh, and these little boys were running around, little girls were running around playing a little game of baseball. And the manager was over there in the third base box. And they had this little old kindergarten-looking kid that came running around third base. And the coach was at third base box. And he was like, run home, run home, run home. And that little boy was like, run home, run home, run home. And he just kept going past home plate all the way to his house, you know. And, uh, and that coach was like, where did he go? And they, and they all laughed at him and said, you told him to run home. And, uh, and, and what happened is he innocently, he innocently was not following instructions along the way. And when you're talking about the, the, the first century people uh, that were following God in Judaism, the religious leaders, although they, they were intentionally teaching a false message, there were those along the way who were innocently following the instructions that they were hearing and listening to. And so Jesus comes and he says, hey, listen, let's make sure everybody understands what is being said. That's why, in, in fact, even in this passage of Scripture, it begins in verse 43, with you have heard that it was said. This is the sixth time uh, in this passage of Scripture from in Matthew chapter 5. This is the sixth contrast that Jesus is talking about. And he says in each one of them, you have heard that it has been said. And the reason for that is because the, most of the people in the audience, they didn't have their own a uh, 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 personal manuscript. They didn't have the Word of God written. They didn't have their Bibles that they were easily uh, had easy access to, but instead they had to trust and listen to the leaders. And so Jesus was saying, you've heard that it's been said. Now today, today we're without excuse. Uh, today we're without excuse. We do have liberal theologians that are out there, no different than the theologians of the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that said, I want to feel good message. I want to be able to help you feel better about yourself when at the end of the day, in fact, the message of Jesus Christ is not so that I might feel bad about myself, but rather that I might understand that, man, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I am very special that God of the universe sent His one and only Son into this world to pay the price for my sin. But until I recognize that I have sinned and fallen short of His glory, then I don't need grace. And so Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, he says, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit. What do you mean the poor in spirit? Those who understand, man, I am spiritually bankrupt in desperate need of a Savior. Until I get to that point, I am not a blessed person, but instead I'm a damned person going to hell. So Jesus, he says, hey, I want you to understand 
My message. I want you to understand my message. And although today he's calling us to high living, he's addressing spiritual people. He's addressing religious people. In fact, when you're talking about the message of salvation, repentance is essential to salvation. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 2, verses 37 and 38. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Heard what? Peter had just preached the gospel. And so Peter said in verse 38 to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you're talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ, his main objective in his preaching was to call people to repentance. That's what he preached. In fact, the very first sermon recorded of Jesus was recorded, the very first words were recorded in Matthew chapter number 4. If you turn back just one page, and in verse number 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what's the problem is, is when we lower God's standards such that everybody feels good about themselves, then there's never really a need to repent. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's where Jesus is going. And so today, although he's addressing religious people and saying, hey, you are called to higher living, but understand this though, understand this, that you may be here and you may have never, in fact, you may not love people like Christ loves people. And the reason for you being in that position may possibly be that I've never been saved. And God help us understand our need for salvation. So here's the sixth contrast that he gives. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 43. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, then what reward do you have? <laughs> do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers... Then what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so what he's saying here is he's simply saying, Hey, listen, I am calling you to supernatural loving, supernatural living. It's impossible. It is impossible for me to love like Christ loves on my own strength. I cannot do it on my own strength. But you know what happens when a person gets saved? The Bible says when we get saved, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of the living God comes and takes up residence within our life, sealing our salvation, number one. But number two, one of the reasons why He indwells within us is so that others might be able to taste and see the goodness of God. That's why He says, hey, the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling within us, we begin to bear fruit. And the reason for fruit is not so that others might look and say, Wow, aren't you fruity? Wow, don't you look really cool? No, it's so that they might taste and see and say, Wow, how good is your God? And God help us. That's why He indwells within us. And so he's saying, hey, when I dwell within you, I will enable you to do, I will enable you to be, I will enable you to love like I love. 
The question is, do I really want to? Do I really want to? He'll enable me, but do I want to? So he begins in verse number 43 with the instruction of Judaism. The instruction of Judaism in verse number 43 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And this is partly true. In fact, that's what happens with people that are false teachers. And that's why you have to be careful is because oftentimes they pull themselves up to partial truth. But when you're talking partial truth, if it's only partial truth, it's a whole lie. And you need to listen and pay attention and open the Word of God when you're hearing the Word of God and make sure what I'm listening to is biblical. And so they were teaching a partial truth, and it was coming out of Leviticus chapter number 19 and in verse number 18. And the Bible says this, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so there was partial truth being taught. There were three, and in fact, there were three problems. When you look at what they were teaching, they deviated in three different ways from the actual law as God wrote the law. Number one, there was a narrow definition of my neighbor. There was a narrow definition of my neighbor. In fact, Jesus had to address this on multiple occasions. One of the most famous, I guess you would say, uh, occasion that Jesus addressed this issue was with <clears throat> the... Uh, uh, a good Samaritan. You know the story of the Good Samaritan in the New Testament where Jesus Christ is teaching and he's engaged by a lawyer and the lawyer comes up and says, hey, <clears throat> you know, what's the greatest commandment? And so Jesus says, hey, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the lawyer said, hey, you answered well as if he needed his affirmation. Uh, he said, you've answered that well, uh, but, but, but tell me who is my neighbor? And so Jesus goes on to talk about a story. He talks about this story of the Good Samaritan. He says, man, there's, there's a guy that's over here on the side of the road, and he's been beat down, and he's about to die on the side of the road. And along came some religious leaders. Along came a pastor, and along came a deacon. Not really, that's not what it said, but the scribes and the Pharisees. And they came down the road, these religious people. And they passed by him on the other side of the road. Two of them had opportunity to show love, but they didn't. And the third being a Samaritan. And Jesus says the Samaritan stopped by, and he stopped and went over, and he tended to this person, took them down to the local Motel 6, and said, hey, I'm, I'll pay their bill whenever I come back through town. Just let them heal up here. And what was he saying? He was saying, hey, you know, in your, in your esteem, you guys think you're so holy and you think you're so righteous and you're so pious. And these people, these Samaritans that you look at as though they're second-class citizens, as though they're half-breeds, they're the ones that know how to love their neighbor. And you need to learn a lesson from them. They've always had a narrow view of who their neighbor was. It's not about... Who is my neighbor, but whose neighbor can I be? That's the question to ask. And so today, when we're talking about loving our neighbors, man, it's whoever I come into contact with, whoever I have the privilege and opportunity to be Jesus with skin on, no matter what they look like. I don't care if they're red, yellow, black, or white. I don't care if they're young or old or what they look like. The Bible says, man, you love people. Love God with all your heart, but love your neighbor as yourself. There was a narrow view that they had held on to of what it meant to be a neighbor. <clears throat> and then also, 
Secondly, they omitted as yourself. The Bible says, the law said, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. Now, they struggled with that one big time because, man, they were their own first love. And when you're your own first love, you have a hard time loving somebody else like you love yourself. And he says, man, you need to love others like yourself. And a lot of times what happens to us, if we're not careful, we do have that elite view of ourself. We're better than somebody else, when the fact of the matter is I'm not. Some people, in fact, live their whole life, and I've heard it said this way. They were born on third base and go through life thinking they hit a triple. Look what I did. And the fact of the matter is, man, God's just blessed you in a lot of good ways, and you ought to be thankful and humble. But to love others as yourself, they drop that off. Philippians chapter number 2 has some really, really deep teaching on that subject. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. And really, there's no way around this teaching. Watch what Paul says as he's writing the church at Philippi. Do nothing, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. How many times do we make all of our decisions about how it affects me? Never giving thought to others. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. They omitted, love them as you do yourself. Tend to them. Tend to their needs, their desires. And then they also added to what they were teaching, and hate your enemy, and hate your enemy. And nowhere in the law does it say to hate your enemy. It's not commanded in Scripture. Exodus chapter 23, in fact, verses number 4 and 5. Exodus 23, verses number 4 and 5. Watch what the law says. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall return it to him. Why does he say that? Because, man, if it's my enemies, you're going to say finders, weepers, keepers, losers, weepers. I mean, that's my enemies. It's mine now. Sorry. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, in verse 5, lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. In other words, he's saying, even as animals take care of those things along the way. David was a man after God's own heart. He understood what it meant to love even his enemies. Psalm in the, in, in the Psalms as he wrote, chapter number 35, Psalm 35, 11 through 15, the Bible says this, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of thing, things that I do not know, and they repay me evil for good to the bereavement of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth, and I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom, I went about as though it were my friend or brother. And I bowed down mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. The smiters whom I did not know gathered together against me. They slandered me without ceasing. What's David saying? David saying, I didn't just give them lip service, man. I sincerely loved my enemies. You remember the story, it's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 16 of a guy named Shammai, and Shammai was one of Saul's descendants. Saul, who was 
the one throwing spears at David, trying to take his life. And Shammai came out there, and David was coming into town, and David had his mighty warriors around him. And as they were coming into town, Shammai started coming up to them, and he started chunking rocks at David. Man, he was chunking rocks and cursing at David. And one of David's men, Abishai, said, Hey, David, you don't need to put up with this, man. Let's chop his head off. And David said, Hey, it's possible that he's a messenger from God for me. Let's just receive it. Let's just receive it. And what was he doing? He was giving benefit of the doubt to his enemy. It helps in the loving process, loving your enemy, to give benefit of the doubt. We think we know everything about everybody a lot of times, and we make assumptions, and our assumptions most of the time are wrong about people. Let us give the benefit of the doubt, and let us love people. Jesus comes and he says, but I say to you, in verse 44, so he gives his correction in verse number 44, the correction of Jesus, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, to love your enemies. When he talks about love here, he's not talking about a sentimental emotion. We don't even understand what love is anymore. We act as if love is just simply a responsive emotion that I have when I feel good about somebody because they look good or because they've stroked my ego along the way. And he says, make sure you love your enemies. And it's the same word that's used by the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he describes the love that we're to have. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 4. Love is patient. Are you patient with your enemies? Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. He's just simply saying, hey, make sure you love. And I'm not talking about just simply lip service to your enemies. Because we all know that God calls us to love. To love people. To love people. <clears throat> and a lot of times what we do is we give lip service to loving others. I love them in the Lord. Bless his heart. <laughs> but in my heart, boy, I can't wait to see him fall. And what Jesus is doing in this text is he's saying, hey, you need to understand your own hearts and your need for me. And I believe every last one of us need to recognize that. To show love, it's an action word. To show love is an action word. Job understood that, and that was even before the law was ever get given. Job 31, 29 through 32, the Bible says, Have I rejoiced at the extinction of my enemy, or exalted when evil men befell him? No, I've not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life in a curse. Have the men of my tent not said, Who can find one who has not been satisfied with his meat? The alien has not lodged outside, for I've opened my doors to the traveler. And you know, when you're talking about Job, God gave his thoughts on Job. In Job chapter number 1, he said, Hey, have you considered my Job? 
He's blameless and upright. He fears God and he shuns evil. There's nobody like him. And God had Job in high esteem. Why? Because Job understood what it meant to love even his enemies, to show them love, to speak love of them, to speak love of them. The Bible says over in Peter, in 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verses number 8 and 9, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8 and 9, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. I know it's elementary, but if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. That was Thumper's advice. Remember that? <laughs> if you ain't got something nice to say, don't say anything at all. What happens? Somebody insults me and it hurts my ego, so I want to strike them back with words. And what Jesus is saying, hey, don't, don't return insult for insult. So, 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 so they hurt your ego. That's big deal. Big deal. Love them. Don't speak evil of them. Love them. God help us. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Which, by the way, prayer, prayer is the key to loving them. God, why, why, why is prayer the key? Because, man, I am needing desperately to tap into the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and dwelling within me to love my enemies like God calls me to love them. It's not natural. I mean, what he's talking about is not natural. Sometimes when I'm preaching on a subject, especially like this, man, I feel like a heel. And I think, man, y'all looking at me like I'm the only one struggling with this stuff. But at the end of the day, God help us to love like he's calling us to love. What a difference we would see in this world if the church would just love like Jesus loved us. What an impact we could make if we loved like Jesus loved. But we got to pray, God help me. When you're talking about praying, by the way, when you're talking about praying, it's not about getting my will done in heaven, but his will done on earth. And so we pray in such a way. In fact, Stephen was an incredible display of what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Stephen was the first Christian to be martyred for his faith. He did nothing wrong, but was faithful to God's word and faithful to God's truth and faithful to showing love. And yet they were stoning him. And in the midst of his stoning, Stephen cried out to God and was still praying. God, forgive them. God, forgive them. Praying for my enemies. <clears throat> it was on display for us. The question, once again, we see the teachings of Jesus Christ. Hey, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The question really at the heart of this message is, do I sincerely want to honor God and love my enemies? But they don't deserve it. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. No, I don't. I don't. But God does. God does. And so he takes it a step further. In verse 45 through 48. <clears throat> and he gives the application for us. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, then what more are you than any others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that you may be sons. When you're talking about the way that is translated, show yourselves to be. He, he, he's not suggesting so that you might become a Christian, so that you might become uh, a follower of Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, but because you are, then prove yourselves to be. Because you are a Christian, then prove yourself to be. How so? By loving people. Because your Father in heaven loves indiscriminately. And when you're talking about a follower of Jesus Christ, the badge of every believer is love. The, the badge. The birthmark, you might say. The birthmark of every believer is love. Why? Because I've been born from above, and my Heavenly Father has a nature that is loving. And because He's indwelling within me, there ought to be a loving nature within myself. Does that mean I always love perfectly? No, but when I don't, I ought to get under conviction by the Holy Spirit of God that's indwelling within me. And if I can live my life without loving people and feel hunky-dory about myself, then I'm saying, where's the Spirit of God? Where's the nature of being born again? I mean, I'm not perfect, and nobody's perfect. But he's simply saying, man, love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And let us always be mindful that God didn't love you because you're lovable. He didn't love me because I'm lovable. He loved me while I was an enemy of His. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 5 and in verse number 8 that God displayed his love for me and he displayed his love for you and that while I was still a sinner, he died for me. That's what he did. That's the love that he has displayed for me. And that's what I responded to. And he's saying, hey, you go and do the same. You go and do the same. Because at the end of the day, I doubt that there's anybody in your life that will ever insult you as much as you have insulted Jesus And he's saying, you go, love. Why? Because the world needs to know what love is. It's interesting when Jesus is talking because he uses basically two groups of people that in their minds and in their estimation were second rate. They're not as good as we are because we are children of Abraham. He says, you know what? The Gentiles love better than you do. <laughs> the tax collectors that you see as abominations, they, they, they love on the same level as you love. They love on that natural level. In other words, man, you, you're, not, you're, you're really not doing anything special when you just love people that are like you. Because anybody can do that. Anybody can love the lovable. But I want you to love the unlovable. I want you to love even 
your enemies. That is a high calling. But he says, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm looking at the wrong verse. <laughs> Therefore, you're going to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. To be complete, to be mature. In other words, a lot of times what we do is we like to give ourselves an easy pass. We say, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm still in the process, which although there is truth to that, we're still in the process, the process of sanctification. He who began the good work in me will be faithful to complete it. In other words, I'm not complete yet. I'm not complete yet. But don't ever let that be an excuse why you don't love yet. You're saying, be perfect, be mature. You got all the Holy Spirit you'll ever need to love like you're called to love. Philippians chapter 3, the Bible says this in verse number 12 through 15. Philippians 3, 12 through 15. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, man, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet, but I know I'm running a race, and I know one of these days I'm going to see Jesus face to face, and I'll give an account and I'm going to run to win. And the question for all of us is, are we going to run to win? Are we going to love like he called me to love? Why? Because the world needs to know that God loves them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into this world not to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come just to say, here's how bad you are but that the world through him might be saved. Hey, God loves you today, unconditionally, unconditionally. And if you've never called on his name for salvation, maybe this is just a foreign subject to you. Because in the world, we just live. We just respond to our flesh. And today you may be here and say, man, I, I don't, I don't, I've never done this. This is higher living. This is higher living. And it won't happen apart from salvation. And so my question is, have you ever been saved? Have you ever been born again? To be born from above. In other words, I recognize, man, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody in this building today has never loved perfectly. Anybody love perfectly? Let me see. <laughs> okay, I was going to call you out if you raise your hand. <laughs> We, we, we've never, we, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. That's why Jesus came for us. And if you're here today and you've never called on his name, he loves you, desires an intimate relationship, and I want to invite you to call on his name. We're going to have a time this morning of prayer and then a song, and after the song, we're going to be down front. And if you're here this morning and you've never been born again, I'm inviting you to come today. Brothers and sisters, are you loving like Jesus wants you to love, looking for opportunities to love. God help us to love like he's calling us to love. Would you do me a favor this morning and join me for prayer?
Father, I'm thankful today that you love me unconditionally because I recognize, God, there's nothing I can do to earn it. I don't deserve it. But you love me unconditionally. And God, not only me, but the world. And you've called me to love. You've called us to love. So God, open our eyes and help us to love like you want us to love. Father, I pray today for those that, whether they be in the building or online, that have never been born again, that God, your Holy Spirit, would just help them understand that you would bless them with a poor spirit. Oh God, that they would be blessed to recognize I'm spiritually bankrupt before a holy and perfect God. And although, God, that's the condition of our soul before salvation. God, your word tells us we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that, God, if we repent and call on your name, our salvation is a gift to be received. Oh, thank you. Thank you for loving us that way. God, have your way today. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us. God, that whoever might even be in our hearts and in our minds, even now, God, that you would help us to love them. Give us a new heart. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your goodness to us. And I thank you, God, for this opportunity. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.